Hello, Ashley. Thank you for joining us today on Confidentially Speaking um, podcast today. Um, I want to just give an opportunity to those who are listening for the first time. My name is Celeste, aka Coach C. I am a life strategist uh, of Confidentially Speaking podcast. I also have my own coaching business, Celica Coaching. I have a Facebook page. Um, But today we are here um, to discuss the topic on the imposter syndrome. And one thing about Confidentially Speaking podcast is we discussed a wide variety of topics from health and wellness to personal and career development Uh, but it all has a Christian focus um, because I just believe that um, uh, God is the creator of all. And um, so for me, uh, that's who my source, uh, my strength come from is Christ. So um, I want to thank everyone that is joining or that will hear this podcast Um, You probably want to listen to it again. Uh, Today, my speaker is Ashley Cutler. She's a licensed social worker. Uh, She's in Boston. She also is a life coach. She is the curator of Adorn with a Purpose Coaching, as well as the CEO. She's a wife and a servant of the Most High God. So, uh, Ashley, greet us. I, I don't. That's a brief description of who you are. If you want the people to know more, please at this time, please share about who you are. Hi, Celeste. I'm actually um in Baltimore, not Boston. Okay. I wanted to <laughs> let everybody know that I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, born and raised, and um, I very much value family and also my spiritual relationship with God and so that has been a major motivator throughout my life and always encourages me to reach out and share that with other people and just to help people in whatever way that I can. All right thank you. Um, Again as I said today we have a very interesting topic Uh, But one of the things that struck me with Ashley is her mantra. And she says that she's providing a community and connection for Christian women. And I think that's so important um, to have a circle of women uh, who are Christian centered uh, around, around us to help us, to motivate us, to encourage us. But today, our topic, we're going to address the imposter syndrome. And before um, we, be, before before I even heard of the imposter syndrome, there's a movie that, that's called Imposter, and it had a lot of series and, um, and episodes in that. And when I began to read it from a psych, uh, psychology, mental health perspective, I was like, wow, this really is an issue um, that people have. We think it's only in the movies. We think of when you think of an imposter, you think of someone changing their disguise or uh, someone um, that's a con artist or something like that. But 
there really is a disorder that's called the imposter syndrome. And as I was studying, uh, I saw where one theorist th says that the imposter syndrome can be rooted uh, in families that value achievement above all else. Um, that the perfectionists, you know, um, the uh, families who are driven by uh, being perfect, um, what the people see, what people see. Um, and then another one, uh, a third a theorist, um, a, a social worker, I think her name is uh, Susan uh, Bonova. She's a licensed social worker. And one thing she said that a lot of people suffer significantly uh, with this syndrome is people who have ADHD. They feel like they are imposters and they feel like they're imposters because um, they hide their struggles from people um, that they're around from the general public. And so my question to you, Ashley, is from a clinical perspective, can you give us some insight on this this phenomenon uh can you describe it can you can you really give us from a clinical perspective what the imposter syndrome is absolutely i can one of the ways i like to describe it to people is that you feel incompetent in a position that you are qualified for mm, repeat that again <laughs> you feel incompetent in a position that you are really qualified for Okay. So feeling of being a fraud. It's almost like you think that someone's going to pull the sheet and see that you're different than what they perceived or what they thought or even the way that you want people to see you. And so you really feel like at any moment people are going to be able to tell that maybe something is wrong or you don't have all the answers when you really think you should have all the answers. And you made a great point about the level of perfectionism. And so I think that that really does drive things because none of us are perfect. And so as we put that standard on us, it really, really creates this pressure. And then when you don't have the answers, it causes like an embarrassment that you don't want people to know. You don't want people to discover that. But deep down, you're feeling all these things as you're trying to show up as an expert or trying to show up as this person that's knowledgeable, maybe has it all together or knows it all, but really you know that you don't and you're trying to cover that up as best as you can. And you know, sometimes people will be lenient and realizing that you don't have all the answers, especially if you're um, supposed to be an expert, but then sometimes people won't accept that. So if you think about a doctor and you go to them and they don't know what's wrong with you, a lot of people would have a problem with that. They would say, well, you went to medical school, you had all this knowledge, why can't you tell me what's wrong with me? Hmm. And so I think that kind of reinforces the imposter syndrome of I can't let this person know that I don't have all the answers or that I may not know what is going on or I don't feel competent right now. 
So let me, because you said something very key there when you talked about going to a physician and a physician doesn't know. One of the things that I, I learned in my career is that physicians are only practicing medicine. You know, and I think we fail to realize that they practice medicine, that they are not God, but they practice. And so to me, what that says that uh, if if they're practicing medicine, they're only trying to make a, a good guess on what prognosis to treat the diagnosis that they have for you. Everybody's not the same. So, but that that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, I definitely ag agree with what you're saying. And I, I think a lot of us don't think about it in that context. When you're going to a doctor's appointment, you're not sitting there having that internal conversation with yourself. Um, you expect them to be able to help you. And so you know, sometimes we can run a reinforce that imposter syndrome in people and not even realize that we're doing it because we have this high expectation or this high standard for them. Um, and personally, I can identify with imposter syndrome as a therapist, someone comes to you and there's some people that come with really complicated situations, things that you can't control or things that are going to take a while for it to really be able to be digested and processed. And you know it's gonna take a while before it gets better. And so you don't wanna show up as you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what you're doing but you also want to be realistic with them in saying hey i don't have all the answers i am not god <laughs> i can't control certain things in your life i can help you in these ways but i can't control and just make everything better okay so ashley the, what when i when you talk when we talked about the, the family's imperfectionism how as parents from a therapist how can we we encourage our kids to do their best but also not make them feel like um everything has to be perfect yeah i think one of the ways is just to tell them you know or ask them did you do your best and if they said yes then to be okay with that and say well that's what matters versus you didn't get this grade or you didn't do this and not even having that conversation about whether or not they tried their best. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe there's some kids that just aren't good at tests. So you kind of have to know the context of the situation with your children and nurture them according to what struggles they might be having or, you know, their personality, things like that, instead of like a one size fit all and we have to adjust our expectations as adults and parents in realizing that. Oh, wow. You see, there's that key word, expectation. I read an article some years ago um, as a parent. Uh, it was a parenting uh, article. And it was talking about how this, it was telling a story about this parent had was picking her child up from from school and she when she saw her child she frowned she frowned because her hair was all over her head her clothes was ta um was 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 torn um you know they wasn't the way 
they were when, when she went to school. And the mom looked at her and said, why do you look like that? The daughter had a fantastic day, but because the mother um, was, was scolding her on how she looked, why are you looking like that? You don't look good. You know, your clothes is all over and your hair is messed up. And she was just complaining um, that it killed the daughter's self-esteem. And so the daughter thereafter was more uh, prone to make sure that when she when she uh, left school, that her hair was done, her clothes was not was was adjusted and was uh, on right. And um, the mother never asked her how her day was in school. And she heard, she heard the mother heard her daughter one day telling her friend, "My mother only thing she cares about is how I look when she picks me up, and not how my day was." And um, so, you know, the daughter made a statement about she cares about what other people think about how I look. And so that was that. As a parent, that says to me that even when you see your child and they don't look in their best, it's always best to greet them with a smile. Yes. Uh, greet them with a smile and ask them how their day was. Uh, and not get so caught up in what you said as, you know, one size fit all. Because many parents, most people have more than one children, child. And ha having more than one child, we. It, it doesn't work. I, I had two sons and um, my oldest son, he excelled uh, in school. My youngest son, he struggled, you know, yeah. and uh, that, that spirit of comparison. I think that's where, you know, that that um, imposter syndrome where people compare. Do you think that that comparison and imposter kind of play a hand in hand with that imperfection. I don't want people to know. So, you know, I'm going to cover up or uh, compare what I do versus what they do. You think that has something to do with that? I, I think it does. You know, they say comparison steals joy and I am a firm believer of that because then you become so focused on what everyone else is doing and then you start to say, well, why am I not in that place? Or why am I not doing that? And recognizing that you have different journeys. And you had mentioned about people that experience ADHD. A lot of what happens with them is that they compare and they say, it's so hard for me to get my job done. Or it's so hard for me to get laundry done. It takes me hours to do the one simple thing that everyone else can do in 15 and 20 minutes. And so they're always looking at that. Why can't I be normal? Mm. What's even more pressure on the person because then when they're not able to get that laundry done in one sitting or they've done all these different things in between trying to get laundry done and they're distracted and their mind is all over the place because they have a different way of thinking and processing that they feel guilty and they beat up on themselves and they compare to themselves to other people. And so I think that comparison, you know, also with parents is a thing because if one child, you know, gets things very easily, has a good memorizing 
you know, um, system or can memorize very easily, that child may be a lot better in school versus the child that doesn't have a good memory or it they learn for, you know, visually or something like that. So there's just differences in learning. And the more that you compare, you're putting someone up to an expectation that is not appropriate for where they're at. And so you're kind of setting that person up for failure and to feel like a failure. Hmm. So how do we get away from, you know, um, and I think I have a question out here is how can you know if you were experiencing the imposter syndrome or if this is an identity crisis? Right, what's the difference? So uh, identity crisis is more of, you may be out of touch, you don't know who am I? You know, you can't really even pair your identity to anything. You've kind of just lost yourself in the mix of life and you're not able to really answer that question. So it's more a little bit in a more general sense. Usually imposter syndrome is connected to, um, you know, school, family, um, expectations or you know, how you're serving your family or a lot of times it shows up in work mm. and you know specific tasks that someone might feel an imposter syndrome they don't feel like an imposter in all of life there are probably just a couple areas where they do feel like okay you know I'm a fraud in this but generally if someone's having an identity crisis it's overall across the board no matter what they're doing they're just out of touch with who they are as a person and they really can't answer that question okay so an imposter uh, the imposter syndrome may be for a particular uh job or a particular task uh a, a particular event but that's not in their total life yeah and it might be that it happens in a space where they're supposed to show up as an expert or in a space where they're supposed to be really good at. So like, you know, some people that might be musicians or, um, you know, play sports, they may feel that pressure of, well, this is what people say I'm good at, so I gotta be good at it. Or I gotta show that I'm good at it. I can't let anyone see that I might not be competent. And so they put that pressure on themselves to always sell and do good because that's the expectation in that area of their life. So, you know, sometimes it's more about the spaces where you're supposed to show up as an expert and you're supposed to look like you have all the answers and you have it together and people have that certain expectation for you and you want to meet that. Yeah, that, that that's a hard thing is meeting the expectations of other people. And, you know, when people put, you know, uh, say, yeah, you, you need to come here, Celeste. She's dynamite. She's this, she's that, she's this. And they come and they hear me. And uh, that based on what someone else said about me, I may not be their flavor. I may not be the best speaker or orator. I may not be the best uh, life coach for them, you know, and... And, 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 you know, just meeting that expectations because my expectations and your expectations are totally different. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and so how do we encourage other people or uh, how I want to say this, 
um, how do we encourage other people uh, about not um, how about not feeling like uh, if you if if someone tells you about somebody not to feel like oh they didn't meet your expectations let's talk about expectations are they are they is it a perception is it false real um let's talk about that and expectations are tricky because a lot of times we have our own expectations for ourselves and my experience in providing um, therapy and just being in the realm of being in helping profession and working with people is that people tend to be harder on themselves than they are on anybody else mm-hmm. right so we have these high expectations and standards for ourselves that we would never place on someone else and when i ask people that especially my therapy clients of saying would you expect that from someone else? And they say no. So I say, why do you expect it from yourself then? Why does that only apply to you and it doesn't apply to everyone? It would make sense if it applied to everyone, but because it doesn't apply to everyone and it just applies to you, it doesn't make sense to have that expectation. So you have to lower it. And I think people kind of get wary when you say lower expectations because they don't want it to be so low that they're not motivated or you know they're not doing anything we think that having those high expectations pushes us and to some degree it can but a lot of times it's so far out of reach that it's just going to end up making us feel bad about not being able to reach it and at that point doing it is not productive it's not helpful at that point it's basically more of a tool to feel bad and punish yourself in some ways for not being that level of perfectionism and i think Mm. we get to perfectionism um, because we have all of these things that we are supposed to do right and all these things that we have to be able to juggle and we have to be able to do them well right because other people might be depending on us or you know women are known for multitasking and those types of things and so what happens when you fall short of that perfectionism it can really really play with your mind and your mindset so i think that those are important things to keep in mind and then we have to be really intentional about the expectations that we put on other people and the things that we're saying to them and the messaging of what we're saying we have to take more time to think before we speak Hmm. oh wow that that's great information because again expectations goes back to perfectionism yep and what we think about ourselves and how we perceive ourselves and a lot of times that's how we think people think about us is what we actually think about ourselves wow that's great information so Ashley, um, can you just give us a couple of exercise or techniques um, that you could suggest that would help us conquer our self-doubt or our imposter syndrome? Absolutely. One thing that I think is really helpful is self-compassion. And I teach this. Like I said, people tend to be harder on themselves than they would on other people. And so having that compassion and kindness for yourself when you don't have the answers or you don't have it all together and being able to say, 
I don't have the answers, but it's okay. And being able to be kind to yourself rather than beating yourself up. And, you know, one of the ways that you can show self-compassion is just remembering that I'm not perfect. And keeping that in mind and keeping that into perspective. And you would, I always tell people, think about what you would say to someone if they were in the situation and they told you that they were having those thoughts. If a friend said this to you, what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. Tell them to take that and that's what you should do. That's your advice. Whatever you would tell that person, then that's what you need to tell yourself. But if you would tell that person, what do you mean? You're smart, you're this, you're that. You need to go ahead and tell yourself that because it's the same thing. We just don't think about it in that context. So sometimes that helps people to think about it a little bit differently because you're taking yourself out of your own feelings. And usually it's easier for us to respond to other people when they're having challenges than ourselves, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I like what you said is when you're thinking it to say out loud that you're smart, that you're intelligent, uh, to say, to speak to yourself out loud. Uh, I think a lot of times we think things, I know for me, I had to learn this, is that when negative thoughts come into my mind, I had to speak out loud. No, that's not true. This is what's true because I'm I'm reminded of this scripture that faith come by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so I have to speak to myself those things that God says about me. You know, another thing that I also think that's a good idea is if uh, having a folder of, um, I, 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 when people send me cards, birthday cards, Christmas, whatever, I have a file where I go through fold, my folder of what people thank me for, uh, emails, what people said about me. When I'm feeling down and doubting myself, I go to that um, to encourage myself. You know, I, I surround and also I surround myself with people who are positive, people who speak life. You know, yes, when when I'm not meeting a certain expectation that I think I, I want to or that I want to reach, for me, it's an opportunity for growth. And I just use that as an opportunity of growth. Okay, there's a deficiency there, Celeste. What is it that you need to do to reach to the next level? So I think that when you're having self-doubt, you know, another thing that I, like I said, is having emails, uh, text messages, people in your circle who speak life to you, people who are encouragers, who are truly encouragers. Uh, I think that helps as well. I think so too. I really like that suggestion that you had about the emails and, and cards. That's a, a really good one. And I use a bit of affirmations uh, because it reminds you of what you know deep down and you can make them actually scripture based so that you are getting some of that spiritual um, feeling in with the affirmations and being reminded of what God says about you. And then I think also, one thing that people experience a lot is emotional reasoning and what that is is you feel a certain way so you think that it's true 
Mm. Your feelings become interpreted as the truth. So mm. if I feel like I'm a failure, then I must be a failure. And so we have to get out of that mindset and start living according to fact and actual truth than what our feelings are. Because the Bible tells us our feelings are flaky, right? <laughs> we have so many different emotions. Humans fluctuate. You know, you could have be having a good day and then one thing happened and then the rest of your day, you're upset, you're sad, you're angry, you're, you know, disappointed, whatever. So we have to get out of that mindset of because I feel this way means that it's true. You may feel that way and you're completely valid in feeling that way and it's understandable, but that doesn't mean that it's equal. doesn't mean that you are feeling because you feel like it in that moment. And so we have to keep those things in mind and be able to validate ourselves, like you said, to speak some things out loud to remind us, you know, what things have we accomplished in the past? What good things have people said about us? You know, what does God say about us as his people? And those are really good ways to give yourself that validation because you don't always know if you're going to get that from people. You would like people to validate you, but you may not be able to get that in that moment. Um, but it definitely helps to have people that are supportive and positive and that are going to give you that encouragement in those moments. You don't want to be around people that are more negative or um, focus on the negative because you can get really stuck in that place. So in changing the mindset um, for people who have the imposter syndrome, um, we, we talked about affirmations. We talked about having cards. We talked to yourself we talked about building yourself up having people in your circle um but 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 can you just help us to have a more healthy to to lead us to have a more healthy mindset versus always thinking negative or doubting ourselves right and i think one of the things to note is that negative thoughts or self-doubt it comes with human nature so i would have a lot of clients that would say i want to think positive all the time and instead <laughs> it's not realistic <laughs> you're going to think positive 100 all the time so let's focus on trying to get the majority of your thinking in the positive realm but then when the negative does come up let's have some strategies in place where you're able to cope with it and you're not getting stuck in it. It's okay mm. to have a negative thought, but the problem becomes when you get stuck in it and it dwells and it lasts on and on and on versus it just being in that moment when you being able to cope with it and say, you know what, I'm thinking really negative right now. I need to go and redirect and do something. I need to, you know, use that positive self-talk and talk myself through this. I need to go talk to a friend that's going to put things into perspective. And I know that's going to tell me, you know, the truth. You know, I need to focus on the facts. And so I think having like those strategies in place, the more you do them, you're going to see those negative thoughts really leave a lot faster. And you're probably going to be more in the positive realm. 
because you're doing things that are increasing those positive thinking and reinforcing those positive things because we tend to focus on the negative as human nature, right? When there's things happening on the news, there's more negative than positive because they know people are going to watch it. Right. And so we just have to be able to catch ourselves in those moments and the less that we dwell on it, the less it's going to have an impact on your your everyday life. You're going to have them, but it's going to be like, oh yeah, I dealt with that. And then you can move on with the rest of your day. So there's a difference between having that moment and then your whole day becoming that moment. Love that, love that. So Ashley, uh, I think my last question would be, is when is it best to see coaching or therapist? Yeah, that is a, a good question. I don't think there's enough information out about that. Um, so it's a really good question. I'm glad you asked. I know as a therapist, there is more focus on diagnosis. So someone may not know what their problem is or they know something's not right and they just don't have the language to describe it. And oftentimes people feel like they're the only ones that are feeling it. So once you kind of explain you're you know, dealing with symptoms of depression, sometimes it helps people to know what they're dealing with. Sometimes it reinforces the mental health stigma. But in therapy, you're going to get more of a, an assessment, evaluation, a diagnosis. Um, whereas in coaching, you probably already know what your problem is. And you're probably already able to identify that because coaches tend to talk about a specific problem. So if they're sharing a specific problem and you don't know what your problem is, you're not going to attach to it. It's not going to be something that you need. You need to explore and process that more in therapy. And in in therapy as well, there's more emphasis on symptom management. There might be more of an immediacy. So if someone's having suicidal ideation or um, their symptoms are really impacting their day-to-day functioning, where it's just a struggle to even get up and do some basic things, you might want to go into therapy more so than coaching because you're going to be able to have that support for your mental health and being able to cope with your mental health symptoms. It doesn't mean that coaching can't benefit your mental health. So I'll give you an example. If someone was experiencing ADHD and they really did not have anything under control and they needed medication and maybe they need accommodations for school or work, they would probably go to a therapist because a coach is not going to be able to diagnose and sign off on an accommodations request that they would send their work or job. A coach might help them learn or coach them how to do executive functioning skills, which is a specific skill. And that may in turn also help that person with their ADHD, but it's different angles in what they're targeting. So I hope everybody's able to kind of visualize that difference uh, with the explanation. And then with coaching, it's more of a self-investment. Therapy tends to be covered with insurance, um, coaching, you are strictly investing in yourself. So you are paying a price to invest in yourself, your goals, and what you want your future to look like. And then the last distinction I wanna make is that with coaching, there's more accountability in between. I mean, yeah, accountability 
with working with someone so you're able to get access to your code a lot easier. With therapists, you may see them every week, every two weeks, every month, unless there's like an emergency situation, you are implementing these things without much accountability from your therapist. So your therapist is not doing check-ins with you. So sometimes that access can be a little limited, especially in the mental health system, which is tends to be overcrowded. So those are some things to think about and to look out for if you're trying to figure out whether or not you should go into therapy or if you should go into coaching. Yes, and um, so Ashley, tell us um, how can they reach you? Uh, what spaces, social media spaces um, that they can um, look you up on? Yep, so I am on Facebook. I have a personal page and also a Facebook group. My personal page uh, profile for Facebook and Instagram is Miss Ashley Cup. And so you can find me under there. And then for my Facebook group, it is called Adorned with a Purpose. And so you can join in for there. That's just a community and a way for like-minded Christian women to come together to connect with some support, with some encouragement, and just be able to also have some knowledge. I do weekly trainings where I talk about topics to help with being purposeful and more intentional. So it's all about personal growth and spiritual growth. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can look up Ashley Cutler and you will find me on LinkedIn as well. Okay, well, I would like to thank Ashley uh, for coming on, for being our guest today. Uh, This was a very great topic, um, very insightful, uh, very insightful topic and uh, encouraging to me uh, as well on um, that. Again, this is Celeste, AKA Coach C of Confidentially Speaking Podcast. You can reach me on social media at MSY Houston, Instagram, and Celica Coaching. So until the next time, thank you for joining us. Have a great day.